0: Hey there, everyone. This is Pastor Ryan from Mountain View. I just wanted to take a quick second and thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We, we hope that this message just fills your soul. It fills your heart. Uh, we pray that this message impacts your life in some way, shape, or form, and the gospel just changes you. So thank you so much for tuning in for the Mountain View podcast. We hope you enjoy. Good morning. How is everybody? Good. 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 It's the second week in this room. It's warmer. It's got more electricity. And everything. Uh, so, hi. Good morning. I'm just so excited to see all. Everybody looks good today. You don't know it, but a lot of people are matching. And so you probably don't see it out there, but from up here, like Buffalo Plaid is in today. That is a thing. So uh, I'm going to be with you guys today. Pastor Sean is not here. He gave me the opportunity to preach. And so we're just going to dig right into it. And I want to talk a little bit about last week and kind of going into this week in the future, especially the future, uh, when it comes to this sermon series, Mercy in the Mess. We didn't just pick a name and then find a Bible verse to go with it. It was quite the opposite. We found a passage of Scripture and we said, "We have to do this for Christmas. We have to." Well, are we going to give it some kind of cool pithy name? And there were a lot of pithy names. There was uh, there was Grace in the garbage. There was Jesus in the junk mercy in the mess and then i said finally put the junk in the trunk and jesus take the wheel the group chat was on fire let's just say it was incredible the jokes just wouldn't stop ending and so uh, for the next couple of weeks we're going to talk a little bit about this mercy in the mess concept this mercy in the mess idea and it all comes from isaiah chapter 9 Now, before we get into it, I think it's important that we understand the context in which Isaiah is writing and speaking and prophesying in, because that's probably a huge pivot point, at least in my mind, of why Isaiah was writing this and who he was writing it to and why it's so powerful. It's not just, oh, a passage. And it's important to these people. It was important to these people because what they were going through. Now, if you see, Isaiah was born roughly 740 B.C. uh, before Christ. And this is right at the dawn. He started prophesying right at the dawn of the Assyrian Empire. And this is after uh, Israel has split into two nations. So everyone in here probably has heard of, you might not have, have heard of, a small guy named David and Goliath. Anybody? Raise your hand, show of hands. Ever heard of David and Goliath? Cool. Uh, Raise the hands that you're listening. Very cool. Raise your hand that you're sitting next to a good-looking neighbor. Uh, Awesome. Okay. Okay, good. You're with me. You're with me. All right. Uh, And then after King David, he had a son named Solomon, and Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, and he did pretty good for himself. Uh, Had a lot of wives, there was that. Uh, he built the temple, and after Solomon, something happened to Israel. It split. It split into two nations. Uh, there was the northern kingdom with, the, with ten tribes of Israel, and the kingdom was called Israel. And then the southern kingdom was called Judah. Now, for a broad stroke concept, Israel wasn't that great at all. And I'm painting it nicely. They were terrible. Uh, They were wicked people. They chose to worship and I'm saying that phrase loosely, worship, um, in Samaria. And then the southern kingdom still worshiped in Jerusalem. And their kings were mostly hit or miss, but you had some good ones in there. Hezekiah was really good. I like him. He was my favorite. Uh, but the thing is, we, we even see this in modern, not modern scripture. Scripture isn't modern, but New Testament. We see how uh, Pharisees treated Samaritans. Has anyone ever heard of the passage of the Good Samaritan or Jesus at the well? is a good example where Jesus is walking through Samaria and people are like, why are you walking through Samaria? Why would you do that to yourself? Right? And the reason being is because the northern kingdom worshipped, again loosely worshipped in Samaria, the town Samaria. It was their capital city. And so, but here's here's where they get so angry with Samaritans is because they were so evil and wicked that a lot of prophets including Isaiah were prophesying saying hey you need to turn from your evil ways you need to stop sinning you need to turn from your idols and turn back to God and they refused and so uh in in about the mid century mid eighth century B C, the Assyrians came in and destroyed the Northern Kingdom. Uh, they took everybody captive. They made them slaves, and and that's kind of where we pick up. Is that throughout Isaiah's life, he's writing and he's writing before the Assyrians destroy. Uh, destroy Samaria and Israel, and a little bit after, and we even see some text where it implies that it's even after all the exile. So we're going to pick up where he's writing and prophesying about Jesus. Now we get the opportunity, the hindsight opportunity to know that he's talking about Jesus, to know that they're out of exile, to know that, you know, the Jews went back to Israel after being enslaved, but they don't know that. So they get the opportunity to have this this prophecy be a mystery to them. And so it's going to be in chapter 9, uh, Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go all the way to verse 7. So if you have a Bible like, like this one right here, uh, there we go. Here we go in verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walked in darkness, have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. If you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. A lot of rejoicing. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be disdained, destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Verse 6. This is where everyone's kind of heard of this one. This one's really popular. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the greatest of his government and his peace there will be no end he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the Lord almighty will accomplish this that's the wrong verse on the screen don't read that That's Psalm 23. (laughs) All right. So here's the thing is Isaiah is prophesying about what's already happened all right so we tell by the context that the the Assyrians have already come in they've already destroyed Israel and he's already prophesying how God is going to reverse it how God will re- reverse the humiliating judgment that he's poured out on on the tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali their northern tribes and how he's going to reverse that because at the time Tegar Plagueis Plagueis let me read my notes Piles, Tagar Piles, the third of Assyria, he actually came in and he took over northern Israel and just made it a, a part of Samaria. He named it Samaria, just the whole region. He put a puppet leader in state and uh, in charge and just kind of taxed these people cruelly. He took some as slaves. And the thing is, Isaiah is already prophesying long before Jesus is even here, 700 years before he's ever on the scene, that, hey, there's going to be uh, the Messiah. He's going to come. He's going he's to bring back these tribes back into the fold. He's going to restore the northern kingdom. They've been destroyed. They've been enslaved. They're going to come back. They're going uh, to they're, they're be righteous again. And he even says that where he comes from, how he's talking about, ready? Uh, where is it? Uh, people into the darkness. And how uh, uh, right here uh, uh, in verse one, but in the future, they will be honored Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea and beyond the jordan he 's even talking about not only how Jesus what Jesus is going to do, but where he 's going to come from, Jesus of galilee he 's going to come out of the sea and he 's going to restore the north so it 's kind of interesting um, that Sorry, uh, it's kind of interesting that it's, it's already restoring before we ever even get to the name, before we ever even get to anything, Isaiah's is already preaching about, about restoration. And the thing is, they, in their context, they expected a military leader. They expected someone to come in from the north, based off this, when they saw the writing. They expected someone to come in from the northern kingdom, from the Sea of Galilee, to come in on a a beautiful horse with a big old sword. He comes from David's line, and he's going to free them from their oppressors. He's going to free them from a military point of view. Right, but actually, the plan all along was far better than that. Was far greater than that. That we're not going to be freed just from our oppressors. We're not going to be freed from freed from captivity. Captivity. We're going to be freed from our sin. It's kind of like, it's the best example I can give you. Like nowadays, for someone who likes to eat food like me, it's kind of like Thanksgiving. You know, there's going to be turkey at my house that's gonna happen you know that's gonna happen that they think oh sweet we're gonna be free but it's so much more than that it's so much better than that it's kind of like you get turkey and you get cornbread chorizo stuffing which all right raise your hand now if you're hungry all of a sudden right Boom! yeah yeah it's it's incredible i make her make a 9 by 11 sheet of it for me like, in a Pyrex pan, I just eat out of the pan for about a week afterwards. So, this is where we're leading up to that, where we're already talking about the prophecy of what Jesus is going to do. And then he gets right into verse 6, where, where Isaiah says who he'll be and where he'll come from that for us a child is born a son is given and on the government will be on his shoulders and they often thought that it was going to be the assyrian government that he was going to take that burden that yoke upon himself and free them but it actually was the roman government when the roman empire was in charge and so this is this is where we get into the names and he'll be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace And that's where our our sermon series comes from, is the mercy in the mess, is those four names, Wonderful God, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So for the next four messages you hear, we're basing out of Isaiah 6, that it wasn't just a pithy statement, mercy in the mess, but we found a messy situation. We found a people that were in a messy situation, much how we're in a messy situation, how Isaiah was preaching to a culture that when the Messiah was born was in a messy situation. So... We have this wonderful counselor, and uh, where are my Hebrew slash King James fans people at? I know there's at least one in here. She's sitting right there. King James people, that's you. You like to speaketh. Oh, you too? You too? Yes. I I shalt speaketh. Not in King James, but uh, what I will tell you is wonderful counselor, the very first name what we're talking about today is, is actually in the King James and in the ancient Hebrew text, oftentimes split up into two names. That it's not an adjective. Wonderful is not an adjective. It's actually its own separate name. You could break the passage down by saying, and he will be called Wonderful, and he will be called Counselor, and he will be called Mighty God, and he will be called Everlasting Father, and he will be called Prince of Peace. That Wonderful and Counselor are two very separate things. Now they can be combined and they can play like a ping pong game back and forth and complement each other and what's beautiful is that wonderful isn't just oh isn't that wonderful Johnny drew you a picture isn't that wonderful it's, it's the, the, the Hebrew word I'm, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it but to describe it would be to it is full of awestruck wonder I cannot fathom the wonderful plan that he has for us. It is unfathomable. It is fearful. This same wonder is throughout all of scripture. You can find it in Genesis chapter 15 when God and Abram, before he was called Abraham, is they interact. And the first thing out of God's mouth is don't be afraid. Daniel, in the book of Daniel chapter 10, he's prophesying. He has a vision. He sees an angel. An angel says, Daniel, don't be afraid. In Luke chapter 2, when they're talking about the birth of Jesus, uh, and and the shepherds are there in the field, and an angel comes to the shepherds, and the angel says to the shepherds, "Don't be afraid." Matthew chapter twenty-eight. After Jesus has risen from the grave, and the Marys, uh, Mary and Mary, they go to the tomb. They're they're gonna they're gonna embalm him with spices, and the angels there is like, "Hey." don't be afraid, right, he's not here anymore, even in, uh, even in Acts 27, Paul's on a boat, and there's an angel, and he says, hey, uh, don't be afraid, everybody, uh, right, day announcement, we're sinking, don't be afraid, uh, this, there's a certain level of wonder, of fear, has anyone ever stood on a tall building, or you know those sky- skyscrapers where they have like a perch and the floor is made of glass? and you can look down and you just kind of (gasps) go, you're a little afraid, and you got a little bit of wonder, and you wonder if that glass is going to hold you, right? It's kind of like awe, in fact. It's kind of like, all right, who in here has ever met my dad? He's, He's slightly shorter than me, he's got a mustache, he walks with a little bit of a limp because he fell a long time ago and shattered a bunch of bones, so he kind of, a little bit, not too bad. Uh, He's stronger than he looks, Um, that's my dad. Don't ever, 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 ever go on a car ride with my dad here. (laughs) Ever! Oh my goodness. Alright, when Jess and I first moved here, I have to tell you this story. (coughs) It was just a bullet point in my notes. We're just going to go in detail. All right, so it's just too good. It's too juicy, uh, and he's not here, so he can't stop me. <laughs> uh, so, uh, when we first moved here, uh, my dad was going to come up for my birthday. My dad and I, we we never really hung out one on one prior to this moment. All right, I'm like 28, 29 years old. And my dad and I, we, we knew each other, but he was a traveling foreman, and so uh, we've always been working on getting our relationship really, really good. And it's, it's good, but we're not like best, best, best friends. And usually if we're alone, it's for about five minutes in the woodshop, and then I leave. <laughs> uh, and so my dad came up for my birthday, he's just going to hang out, and I was like, this could be fun. And uh, we had just discovered through Dick and Arden King uh, a while back, they showed us where Leavenworth was. And I was going to take my dad to Leavenworth. Now, uh, we all know that from Sultan to Leavenworth is roughly an hour, hour and 15 minute drive, depending on if there's someone slow and you can't pass them, if you have to pull over in Skykomish and ride the train, whatever it's going to be. Uh, so I was like dad we'll go to Leavenworth we'll get a bratwurst we'll try on hats at the hat store we'll go to the Kris Kringle like store and we'll get some ornaments because uh, Christmas is coming up and my dad's like whatever you want to do like sure and uh, and my dad loves to read so I said hey it's, it's about an hour drive if you want to get on your iPad and read I'm like that's fine and so he's sitting front row in our jeep Jess is in the back seat and um, and he's just kind of playing with his iPad. And we get past uh, Gold Bar and we get to Index and this most like blood boiling shrill comes from the passenger seat. Pull over! And I was like okay. And he got out and just started taking pictures with his iPad on the side of the road at like mountains and trees and stuff. And I was like Cool. Like, all, right, all right, Dad. Cool. And he's like, you don't even see this. Like, I, I see it, Dad. It's a mountain. It's right there. No, you don't see this, son. And he's like, blah, 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 blah. put it on burst and it's just taking like 400 photos at a time. Right? And he's like, the mountains, they're just like, blah. Like, that's, that's the only way. That is a perfect impression of my dad. The mountains are like, blah. Right? He's just in awe of these things. Anybody want to... All right, it didn't take two hours to get to Leavenworth. It took about four and a half. All right. <laughs> so he wanted to stop every five miles to get out and take pictures. Uh, just... I want you to even fathom. I want you to wonder the unfathomable, of what it was like that stretch of road right before Stevens Pass when there's the giant valley and the mountains on the other side. And it's late October, so the leaves are turning, and there's snow on the peak. My dad <laughs> took at least, I think, a 1,000 photos that day on his iPad, and about 980 of them were out of focus. All right, so... It's in awe. The wonderfulness of God, the wonderfulness of Jesus puts you in awe. Like, has, have you ever seen the Milky Way? Like, the properly. Properly. Not in downtown Seattle when there's no cloud. I mean, there are no lights around. I remember as a kid, I'd go fishing with my dad at Santa Rosa Lake in New Mexico, eastern New Mexico, and to get there, you take I-44, or I-40, original Route 66, I-40, and you go east, and once you leave Albuquerque, there's nothing. There's like desert, and it's like, the altitude's like 7,000 feet, so there's no clouds, there's no moisture, there's no city, there's no nothing. Nothing. You can just drive at 4 a.m., and when you turn the headlights off, you can just see why they call it the Milky Way. And you just kind of go, wow. That's, That's the wonderful of Wonderful Counselor that's it right there that's, has, has anyone ever even seen the child being born like this is what I'm, I'm going to take a while on this because the wonderfulness of God the wonderfulness of Jesus the unfathomableness of Jesus takes a while to realize you can't fathom it anybody ever seen a child born and like a, a newborn and you're like you're holding it in its arms and you're like whoa that's incredible Maybe you've done something really hard, like like Derek Krieger, and you built something with your own two hands, and you like turned a bowl on a lathe, or you built a table, or you built a rocking chair, or maybe you're into sewing and you built like a not built you sew, sewn sewed sewn sewn a massive quilt like for your king-sized bed, and when it's all done and it's all quilted together and all the patches are put together, you're like yeah. Whew, you and you can look and you point at something, you point at it, and you should. You have no idea how long that took, right? And they can't even fathom. It's kind of like Psalm 19. We're going to read Psalm 19 real quick because this is this is the the wonderfulness of God. And C.S. Lewis wrote that this is probably the greatest Psalm ever written, and I'm not going to argue with C.S. Lewis. Um, And so we're just going to read the first, let's say, four verses. We'll just go four verses in because I think if you read four verses, you'll get the concept of Jesus being wonderful and a counselor, but wonderful. Verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words are the words to the end of the world, in the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. He's talking about how the stars don't speak, yet they speak. God is so wonderful, he can make something that speaks on his behalf without even using words, without even making a voice. That is unfathomable. That is wonderful, God. Am I right? Okay. I wasn't sure if you guys were still with me or not. So why why would Isaiah... Write and prophesy about a Christ that is unfathomable, that is wonderful, that is full of awe, that has the wow factor. Well, to be honest with you, they needed hope. Right? We talked about this already. We talked about how the northern kingdom was on the brink of annihilation and then eventually was annihilated by the Assyrians. All right? Give it about 100 years, all right? and I'm rounding roughly, but then the Babylonians come in and take over the Assyrians, and they didn't stop with the Assyrians. Then they took over the southern kingdom as well, and they took over everything, And so we have a people group that love Jesus or trying to—well, they love God. Jesus isn't born yet. But they love God, and they want—they're realizing that they're making all these mistakes. But the problem is, is that they're homeless. They've been enslaved. Their homes have been taken away from them. They're now oppressed. They're occupied by a foreign country. (sighs) Right? They were hopeless. They needed— they needed some hope. I can honestly tell you that, that you've been in that situation. That I've been in that situation where there is no hope. You're enslaved by sin. You're enslaved by a habit. You're enslaved by your phone. You're enslaved by your kid's ridiculous soccer schedule. Right? You're oppressed. You hate your job, you're oppressed with your finances and your debt, right? We've all been in this situation where we just have no hope. There is nothing. Maybe the doctors have said there's no hope, we're so sorry, it's not going to get better. Maybe the teachers have told you that your kids are hopeless. I am a youth pastor after all. I have some youth kids that I've heard adults say those kids are hopeless. They're not hopeless. They just need Jesus. Right? Look at, all right, it is, we are a few weeks away from Christmas. (laughs) You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. You have not bought all your Christmas gifts and you've looked at your bank statement and it is hopeless. (laughs) Right? You look at the next few weeks of your life. You look at the next few weeks and you have no hope. Don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. We just don't have any hope with it. Let me tell you something about hope real quick before we move on to counselor. The hope of Jesus, the hope that Jesus gives us, the hope that Jesus is, the hope that Jesus represents, doesn't make the pain go away. Or, it might not even make the pain be lessened. Hope in Jesus gives us perspective to know that our pain doesn't have the final say. Jesus has the final say. The wonderful counselor has the final way. And the final say. So, what about this counselor guy? I feel like I've, I've exhausted everything I can say, and, and your interest on the topic of wonderful, what about counselor? Well, we can talk about that as well. Counselor, or oftentimes waymaker. Uh, I already did a shout out to the King James fans. Is there anybody in here with the new English translation? No, nobody. The net translation? Not NIV, the NET. All right. It actually doesn't say wonderful counselor. It describes Jesus and the prophecy as an excellent strategist. Yeah, that's really... Yeah, I knew I'd get a hmm. That's what I said. Awesome. I'm glad you're with me. Exactly. Counselor makes a plan. He makes a way. He figures out the problem and then goes, Okay, uh, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is the plan. This is plan A, and here's the contingency plan, and here's plan B contingency plan. Right? Also, counselor could be considered king. Did you know, actually, in some scriptures, the translation to King or Solomon was just counselor. That he counseled people, that he helped people, that he walked through when there was an issue. Just a wise person, perhaps an an advisor. And Isaiah speaks on this again in chapter 30. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This way, walk in it. That way, walk in it right? And so he's just counseling us and advising us the whole way. Now here's the thing though. Solomon might have been a counselor. And let me let me clarify. Jesus wasn't a counselor. He was the counselor. That's right. That's right. A counselor like in Psalms chapter 16, bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Like Romans 11:33, Oh, the depth of riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how instructable are his ways. Right? He's this counselor. He gives you advice. Has anyone I've sat in a council session before? Uh, a couple of them because I'm me. And you know me, and I need counsel all the time. I called someone yesterday for counsel, but um, I'll tell you the weirdest counseling story, and then we'll move on, is uh, I took the the MMPI-2 test. Has anyone ever even heard of that? Like, you would be proud to say that you knew that. You would not be proud to say if you took it. It is a 585-question true or false test. Yeah about question 100 I was over it and it's questions like true or false you would like to be a florist true or false you are willing to wear socks with sandals (laughs) 585 questions. And it is the standard question that most counselors and psychiatrists use to evaluate you. So if you're going to take on a psychiatrist or a counselor or an advisor for a long period of time, oftentimes they will give you this test. And it's very casual. There's no pass-fail. Really, they're just trying to figure out perhaps your preferences, the way you think, your philosophy, kind of your order of operations in life. And so I took this 585 question test. My my work paid for it all. My work paid for the counselor to come out. He he saw. He gave an hour session to everyone on staff, and we sat down. Jess and I sat down. She took it too, poor girl. And we uh she had to sit down with me in a counseling session, poor girl. And um and we sit down with the counselor, and he goes, "You're Ryan Bell," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. And he goes, I've been dying to meet you. <laughs> he goes, your MMPI-2 results were fascinating. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and and Jess goes, oh, really? And how are mine? He goes, we'll get to you. You, sir. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so if you ever want to know how, the, the level of crazy, that's where I'm at. And so... Uh, He goes, we're going to do this counseling session backwards. I'm going to give you the homework first, and then we're going to work our way to the beginning of the introductions. And I was like, you're weird. And so he looks at me and he goes, Ryan, here's your homework. In the next year, I want you to go to a monk monastery anywhere in the United States, and I want you to sit in silence for three days. I'm going to pull a Sean real quick. Hold on. Do you, that's harder than it looks. I see why he falls over. Do you picture me ever being quiet for any length of time? Okay. By the way, it was incredible. Um, Oh my goodness. Best sleep of my I never did the homework. I never did it. Calm down. So this, but he counseled me through, and I realized, I realized what he was getting at was that I seek the approval of other people, and so I'll just chat them up. And even if I'm just trying to relate to them, I'm trying to get them to like me. Well, when you go to a monk monastery where they've sworn a vow of silence and you can't talk to them either, or they kick you out, you can't really win anybody over. Right? He counseled me in a in situation where I knew I needed help. God will counsel you in an unfathomable way. He will counsel you in places and ways you didn't even realize you needed. Amen. And so God has provided Jesus as our counselor because Jesus has a plan. And not only does he have a plan, but he is the plan. Right? Right? And the plan was unfathomable the entire time. The plan all along was for Jesus to be born in a simple barn in a messy situation. The plan was to live a perfect life, pointing people to God the Father, the kingdom, the whole time. The plan was to take our place in the grave and resurrect three days later. The plan was so for us to have a relationship with God along that was the unfathomable counselable plan and so the question is what do we what do we do with wonderful counselor he's this wonderful counselor cool he's wonderful he's awe filling I'm in awe of him every time I see just a glimpse he counsels me when I'm, in, when I'm struggling. It says, and I, I, I contemplated talking about this, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that he's the God of all comfort. That he will, and I told the, the students this on Wednesday, that he'll parakalehus us. The Greek word for comfort is parakalehus. So Robbie and Savannah are going to come here because they have on shoes. Uh, there you go. And... When, when Paul is writing that God will comfort us, that he will counsel us, is that he's not up in heaven just saying, get well soon. The Greek word parakalehus, we get two words from in the English. We get parallel and we get to call upon, parakalehus. So when we call upon God and we need comfort, that we need his counsel, he is parallel with us. He's not using us like a human shield and saying, well, I have to keep my glory. No, he's right there with you going, we're going to get through it. Don't know what it's going to look like for you. Yes, he does. You might not know what it looks like, right? But all things are going to work for good. It's going to work out. It's going to be okay. Savannah doesn't know what she's going to do, but we're going to figure it out. You were going to move around. I'll just, I'll just move it for you, sister. Right? All right, you guys can sit down. Sit down. They look good. Brother, sister, they didn't fight the whole time they were up here. Romans fifteen thirteen says this. May the God of hope, something we need, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit that brought the wonderful counselor, the same Holy Spirit that empowered him to do all those miracles, the same Holy Spirit that brought him back to life, the same Holy Spirit that dwells in you, we have to trust in him. We trust in him to make a way with our finances. We trust in him to make a way with our kids. We trust trust in him to make a way in our relationships we trust him in everything we trust him when there's bad news from the doctor we trust him when we don't have a plan because he's the plan ma- plan maker and he made a plan for all of us and the plan was to save us from much much worse than what it is so uh, I'm going to ask Katie to come up if that's okay Because I totally told her that she was going to do something. Not really. Uh, And we're going to worship the Lord. Anything you want, dude. I don't care. We're going to, yeah, on the spot. Uh, We're going to worship the Lord. And we're going to say, we're in so much awe of you. And we need you. And we need you to be our counselor We call on you. Tell us which way to go, this way or that way. Be our Psalm 16. Tell us what counsel we need to have. Lord, we just want to be in awe of you for just a moment, for just four minutes. We need your presence. We need need you to save us from this mess. So let's stand and worship.